everyone. So glad that you've joined us for church today, whether you're joining from Grace Harbor Creek or uh, our congregation in the Commons. Shout out to all of you in-person folks. Uh, if you're watching online or on TV, I'm just so glad you're with us today. Uh, we're in a series right now talking through some major changes that we're making as a church. And, and really the first building block we're introducing is what we're calling our Dream Disciple at Grace. Now, historically, the church hasn't been great at determining kind of a proper scorecard to assess how we're living out Jesus' great commission. And so sometimes we've settled for measuring, you know, nickels and noses, giving and attendance. But those measures don't guarantee that a person is actually growing as a disciple of Jesus. And so we can't measure maturity only by participation in Christian programs. Now, the temptation is to let the pendulum swing to the, uh, another ineffective way to measure discipleship, which is to try to measure uh, your internal devotional life alone. Are you praying every day? Are you fasting? Are you reading your Bible? Are you giving to charity? Whatever. And if so, if you're doing all those things, then you're a disciple. And again, you can be doing all these things and it doesn't guarantee that you're actually becoming more and more like Jesus. We all know the guy who knows his Bible inside and out and is also the crankiest person you've ever met. And you're like, dude, it's not working, right? The, the truth is, your sanctification is not measured by your devotional life, it's measured by your actual life. Are you walking out the words and the actions and the attitudes of Jesus in your real life? And so in coming up with these dream disciple roles, our team went to the scriptures, specifically the gospels, and we tried to get a handle on what were the actual lifestyle decisions that Jesus was continually making or the roles that he called his disciples to fulfill. And we came up with these four roles. And then we tried to put modern words to them so that they're accessible and we can get our minds around them. And so we're calling these four roles our dream disciple. And we're taking one per week through this series. They're compassionate storyteller, savvy follower, intentional friend, and embedded influencer. Now, last week we talked about what it means to be a compassionate storyteller. And today I want to talk about savvy follower. And each of these roles comes with questions and accountability tools, and they're going to help you to embody that role. So, so last week we said that compassionate storyteller means I know God's story, my place in it, and I'm motivated to tell the people in my life. Now here's today's second role and our big idea. It says, as a savvy follower, I will discern God's voice and follow his lead at the right time in the right way. So in all of our feedback meetings, this is the role that requires the most explanation. It was the hardest one really for us to put words around. But when our leadership teams studied the gospels and tried to figure out what Jesus did you know, regularly when it came to living out his kingdom, some version of this idea kept coming back on every list. And so we landed on this word savvy because it seemed to represent the idea best. So, so when you read through the life of Jesus, over and over again, you'll see examples of him doing and saying things that were unexpected, maybe even things that didn't make sense in the moment. But in the end, they turned out to be exactly what that moment called for. Sometimes those things even seemed to contradict each other. Like there were times he sat at tables, there were times he prepared tables, there were times he flipped over tables. His parables made sense to some but were confusing to many. He knew when to engage crowds and when to retreat from crowds. He knew when to announce his miracles and when to keep his miracles a secret. He knew when to play defense with Satan by quoting scriptures and when to go on the offensive and to cast him out. He knew when to give Caesar what was Caesar's and when to pick a fight with Caesar. He knew when to demonstrate signs and wonders and when to withhold them because people were becoming too dependent upon them. All along, he kept repeating this phrase that seemed to be kind of a guiding light. He says, I'm just doing what my father tells me to do. 
So, so there wasn't this like clear black and white playbook. If A happens, always do B. But, but a discernment in the moment responding to God's leading. And so the word that we came up with to describe this characteristic was savvy. Savvy means wise, thoughtful, sensible. Spiritual savvy means having the perspective of God on the inside and then allowing it to shape what happens through you on the outside. It so clearly characterized all of Jesus' ministry, but I think it's a bit lost in our time. We seem to have lost all nuance when it comes to when and where to demonstrate our faith, when and where to talk about our faith. It's easier just to go to the never or always approach. Like I'm gonna be private and I'm never gonna talk about my faith or I'm just gonna be on blast 24-7. And we see Jesus being almost coy at times about where and what he does and says. I'll give you a personal example that created a lot of guilt in me over the years. Some of my mentors in ministry used to tell stories at every conference about flying on airplanes. And they used each airplane flight as an opportunity to witness to the person in the seat next to them. According to them, people were getting saved on those airplanes left and right. And I used to feel guilty every time I got on an airplane because the person next to me wasn't kneeling for the sinner's prayer by the time we started our final descent. And after all these years and all this guilt hanging over my head, I've realized a couple things. First, for most people, the seat on an airplane is not the best social space to hear about the words and works of Jesus from a total stranger. It's not just, just not the best place to witness, necessarily. Second, when the time is right, God will open a door. And so probably four or five times over the years, I've had the chance to share the gospel with somebody on an airplane. But it flowed very naturally out of our conversation. It wasn't forced, and I could sense the presence of God all over it. And some people will say, well, that's just a cop-out. Like, you need to be bold all the time, every place, no matter what that other person thinks and whether they like it or not. And other people are saying, you idiot, you should never share the gospel on a plane. In fact, you should never even take your headphones off. <laughs> My point is this, it's not cut and dry. And it's not an introvert and extrovert thing. It's spiritual savvy. It's being able to listen to God, discern the promptings of God, and then do the right thing at the right time in the right way. And this doesn't just apply to sharing the gospel. It applies to every other aspect of Christian discipleship. Having a conversation with your spouse, serving the poor, helping a neighbor. It's a receptivity to the leading of God and his spirit. And so I want us to be able to say with Jesus, I'm just doing what the Father tells me to do. And so I want to explore this idea of being a savvy follower and to take you to a few texts that demonstrate this truth. And so let me frame it this way. These are three declarations of a savvy follower. And so I want you to turn first to a passage that you've probably heard before over in Matthew 10, 16. It's the first book of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 10, 16. And here's the first declaration. It's, I will be shrewd, but with integrity. I will be shrewd, but with integrity. Here's what Matthew 10, 16 says. Jesus is saying this to his disciples. He says, behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocence, innocent as doves. So, so that's an interesting language, isn't it? A lot, of, a lot of animals, you know, sheep and wolves and serpents and doves. He's using similes here. Remember your literature days? Similes are these figures of speech that compare two unlike things. And he's using these similes to instruct his disciples about how to live their lives on mission in the world. Matthew's gospel here is moving into a pretty sobering section about following Jesus. He's commissioning his disciples and sending them out. There's great excitement around that. 
But he's saying that there's also going to be times when you're handed over to local authorities and flogged. He says persecution is going to come for you. Certain people will reject you. Like there's a cost to this life. And so just a minute ago, the disciples were all excited as they think, thinking about the impact that they were going to be making on mission. And now Jesus is describing this opposition that they're going to face. They're going to become targets of cultural backlash. And right in the middle of this pep talk of sending them out, he drops verse 16. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. And if you were an actual physical shepherd in the Middle East with real sheep, you, you wouldn't do this. Like the shepherd's job is to keep the sheep safe from wolves at all, co all costs. And the good shepherd, Jesus, will keep you under his care also, but just not in the perfect comfort and ease maybe that you imagine. There will be risks to following him. And here's what's required to live as sheep among wolves. He says, you need to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. He wants them to exhibit great skill, savvy, spiritual acumen, wisdom, but without sinful compromise. So, so be blameless, be pure, be holy, and also be smart and be wise and be shrewd. This is a difficult but necessary balance to maintain as a follower of Jesus. You see, without innocence, the keenness of a snake is crafty and he's a devious menace. Without keenness, that the innocence of a dove is naive and helpless and gullible. So what Jesus is saying is, of course I want you to be innocent. I don't want you to lie and cheat and compromise. Innocent as doves. But he says, I also want you to be shrewd and sensible and smart. Don't just be offensive to be offensive. Think about what you're saying. Be careful about what you're saying. There's going to be pushback. There's going to be a natural hostility. But, but by the way, don't make it worse than it needs to be. Don't invite it. The main point comes down in verse 22 where he says, you'll be hated by all for my name's sake. Again, make sure that they hate you because of Jesus, not just because you're annoying. So many people do dumb things and then they cry Christian persecution. It's like, no, bro, you're just being an idiot. He says, so be savvy and be shrewd. Verse 23 addresses this. He says, if people are angry with you, don't sit there and say, oh, you know, I feel so noble when I'm being persecuted. I'm going to stay right here in their anger. I'm, I'm going to be so valiant for truth that I'm going to call out all the other Christians who aren't as persecuted as me. No, the passage doesn't encourage a martyr complex. He says in, in verse 23, he says, when they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. In other words, don't be stubborn and thick-headed. If you're not being received, move along. And, and we so desperately need a church full of Christians who are shrewd and with integrity, who know when to speak and when to be silent, when to fight and when to flee, when to argue and when to acquiesce, when to stand for an issue and when to stand for a person. We desperately need savvy followers of Jesus. And here's the deal. There's no rule book for these things. That There are very few issues that come with always or never clauses. But we have two incredible resources, the Word of God and the Spirit of God, who we listen to with discernment and we obey. As our dream disciple role says, I will discern God's voice and follow his lead at the right time in the right way. We're among wolves, among those who are not always fond of us, even want to destroy us at times. We must be wise as serpents and innocent as doves, shrewd but with integrity. Here's the second declaration of a savvy follower. It's, I will only move when God moves. And I want to take you to a passage in Numbers chapter 9. So go all the way back in the Old Testament. I want to read a, a bit of an extended passage here 
uh, in the Old Testament. I think you'll, you'll understand why when you hear my tone of voice as I read it, okay? It's in Numbers 9, 15, and, and back toward the front, and it says this. It says, on the day that the tabernacle was set up, the cloud covered the tabernacle, the tent of the testimony, and at evening it was over the tabernacle like the appearance of fire until morning. And so it was always, the cloud covered it by day and the appearance of fire by night. And whenever the cloud lifted from over the tent, after that the people of Israel set out. And in the place where the cloud settled down, there the people of Israel camped. At the command of the Lord, the people of Israel set out, and at the command of the Lord, they camped. As long as the cloud rested over the tabernacle, they remained in camp. And even when the cloud continued over the tabernacle many days, the people of Israel kept the charge of the Lord and did not set out. Sometimes the cloud was a few days over the tabernacle, and according to the command of the Lord, they remained in camp. Then according to the command of the Lord, they set out. And sometimes the cloud remained from evening until morning, and when the cloud lifted in the morning, they set out. Or if it continued for a day and a night, when the cloud lifted, they set out. Whether it was two days, or a month, or a longer time that the cloud continued over the tabernacle, abiding there, the people of Israel remained in camp and did not set out. But when it lifted, they set out. And the command of the Lord, they camped. And at the command of the Lord, they set out. I mean, this doesn't read like an author's best work, does it? Not, not exactly gripping narrative. Why? Well, so stinking repetitive. You're like, God, I, I think you should fire your editor and, and maybe get a new editor for this one. For nine verses straight, he's saying the same thing over and over again. He set out, he stayed in camp. They set out and they stayed in camp. They followed the cloud. Why? Maybe there's a reason why, what's happening? Why is he repeating himself like this? What's, what's he driving home over and over again? Well, I think it's this one truth. You don't move until the cloud moves. And the other side of the coin, when the cloud moves, you move. What is the cloud? Well, it's the very presence of God. If he's not moving, you stay put. But this one's hard, isn't it? Because we hate to wait. We think waiting is a waste of time. The truth is that sometimes the most productive thing you can do in obeying God is to wait for God to give you the go-ahead. There are plenty of examples of people who rushed ahead of God when they should have waited, people getting married when they probably should have waited. Maybe you took that new job when you should have waited. You formed an opinion and went on the attack when you should have waited. You, you, you spouted off on Facebook when you probably should have waited. You made a big purchase back in the day when you should have waited. Waiting on God is not a waste of time. It actually saves you time in the long run. Notice, as they were waiting, it says they were keeping watch. Verse 19 says they were keeping charge. Verse 22 says they were abiding in the waiting. They weren't just sitting in their easy chairs watching Sports Center. This was an active waiting, a watchful waiting. But they didn't move until God said to move. And listen, when you're in familiar territory, it's easy to become not so dependent on the cloud. However, when you're in uncharted waters, you absolutely need the cloud of God's presence. And we're in uncharted waters. Our country's in a cultural and spiritual meltdown. Like in our lifetimes, most of us have never seen anything like this. The division, the turmoil, the depravity, the moral collapse, the corruption of government, the corruption of businesses, and the corruption of even science, and the corruption of the church. Like we're headed into 2024, an election year, with, with the world at war and with the threat of more global health scares and economic collapse. Like this is uncharted water for most of us. We need a generation of savvy Jesus followers who say, I will only move when God moves. 
And, and listen, the world is screaming at you. Like when somebody votes different than you, they're a monster and you need to attack them. If somebody doesn't agree with you on your pet issue, they're a monster and you need to cancel them. If your pastor doesn't preach on the, this or that topic, he's a monster and you need to leave your church. If your parent doesn't agree with 100% with every crazy idea you come up with, they're a monster and you need to disown your family and forge your own identity. That's what the discipleship of the world will say to you in 2024. But as the people of God, we must be savvy enough, we must be shrewd enough to say, I'm not buying into those lies. I move when God moves. I speak when God speaks. And until then, I'm waiting on him with discernment. And so the declarations of a savvy follower, I'll, I'll be shrewd but with integrity. I will only move when God moves. And here's the third. I will tune into the Spirit's voice. This one's in John 16. So you go back to the New Testament. John 16, and it's a stunning declaration uh, before Jesus goes to the cross. He's gathered together with his disciples and he's telling them that, that now, listen to this, now that Old Testament cloud of God's presence is actually gonna dwell inside of us. The presence of God is gonna take up residence inside of us in the form of the Holy Spirit. And so here's John, uh, starting in chapter 16, verse 12. He says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come, and he will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So I love that Jesus starts this passage by essentially saying, you're, you're not gonna be able to handle all the stuff I have to say to you right now. And so I'm gonna send you the Holy Spirit. And look what the Spirit will do. It says he will guide you into all truth. What a gift. Can you imagine that resource of being able to walk through your life and have a guide that will show you the truth, that will guide you in each scenario with what's true and what's untrue, what's good and what's evil. And, and look how Jesus describes it. At the end of verse 13, he says, remember I said at the beginning that Jesus repeatedly said that he never spoke or acted on his own initiative. He was only doing exactly what the Father gave him to do. And so he repeats that here. He says, the Spirit speaks only what he hears. Jesus describes it. He says, whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. And so the same way in which Jesus was shrewd and always able to do the right thing at the right time in the right way, we too have access to that resource, the Holy Spirit, which will allow us to be savvy followers. He's placed a communication line inside of us so we can discern his voice. You know, one of the greatest benefits of the Christian life is the fact that God communicates to us. And learning how to hear God's voice is one of the most important skills that you need to learn in order to grow in your relationship and to deepen your walk with him. Instead of going through life blindly, you can walk with the wisdom of the Spirit of God to guide you and protect you. And God is speaking. In fact, God doesn't have a speaking problem. It's we who have a listening problem. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they can follow me for they know my voice. He didn't say that the sheep can hear his voice. He didn't say that the sheep should hear his voice. He said they do hear it. When he speaks, they recognize his voice, which means all true believers have the ability to hear and follow. But the key is tuning into the Spirit's voice. These are Apple AirPods. Some of you have these. This version of them has this amazing feature. You have the option of choosing noise cancellation or transparency, and you can just kind of click this button, 
And if you click this button on the side, you'll go from hearing all the ambient noise around you to blocking out all that noise and only hearing what's coming through the earpiece. So you block out the noise to hear what you're trying to hear. And this is the same posture that we must take to hear the voice of God's Spirit. See, the truth is, sometimes it's hard to hear the voice of God because you're bombarded with other voices. Your newsfeed buzzes away in your pocket. Song lyrics ring through your headphones. Social media posts cry for your attention. Political commentators, friends and family and coworkers, they all, all want to have your ear. Netflix series, YouTube channels, TikTok videos, they all present your mind with a way to view the world. And there's an urge, even when you get in your car, to turn up the volume and to, to flip on the TV when you walk into your house and to turn on a podcast when you work out and to scroll your social media feed while you're stopped at a traffic light. We've become addicted to the voices. And sometimes the urge to fill our ears with external voices comes from a desire to silence the internal voices that are even louder. The voices of lust, the voice of worry, the voice of shame and guilt. The voice of regret, of revenge, fear, rage. Voices that say you stink as a parent. You'll never love your husband like you used to. You're not good enough to pursue that career path. You would lose your friend forever if you told him what you were really thinking. You don't have time to get involved and advance your spiritual life. Sometimes we're just too afraid to be alone with the voices in our head, and so we reach for our devices and we turn up the noise. But what if you could tune in to the life-giving voice of God? Like, like noise-canceling headphones that drown out the ambient noise so that you can listen clearly to his voice? What if you could silence the world's voice? What if you could silence the devil's voice? What if you could silence your own voice and just truly tune into the voice of God? I remind you today that he's kind and he's loving and he's inspirational and wise and healing and convicting without being condemning. The Spirit of God is constantly speaking, but few are tuned in to listen. See, for many of you, your lifestyle is too busy and noisy and it's not conducive to hearing the voice of God. I wrote an ebook called The Beginner's Guide to Hearing God's Voice that I would love for you to, to download a copy over at resources.whoisgrace.com slash God's voice. And it really explores the, the variety of ways that God still speaks through his word, through promptings, through pictures, through trustworthy people, through circumstances, through the example of others. But here's the thing. If you're gonna listen to God's voice, it takes time it takes intentionality to tune in to the Spirit's voice. Even for Jesus, it did. How, how did he know the voice of God in such a way that allowed him to make statements like, I only do the things that the Father tells me to do? Well, I want you to listen to this verse from Luke 5, 16. It says, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Guys, he led one of the busiest lives in history. Don't kid yourself. More people were vying for his time. More people were pressing in. More, more obligations on his journey to save the world. I mean, you think you're busy. Jesus started a global movement. He split history in two. He rescued the planet in the span of a three-year ministry. Don't tell me you're too busy. And we read here that not only did he withdraw from those obligations so that he could tune into God's voice, this passage tells us that he did it often. He often withdrew so he could tune in to the voice of God. And so a savvy follower says, I will discern God's voice and follow his lead at the right time in the right way. And then there's two things going on there. Do you hear that? There's a hearing part and there's an obeying part. You need to take time to hear and then you have to have the guts to obey. I've said that with each of these roles, there are many resources to come, training resources, questions, assessments, tools that will help you to live this out in your everyday life. Well, I wanna give you the two discipleship questions that go with this role, and then we're gonna share a tool with you today to practice. The concept of the tool is not new to anyone. In fact, I just mentioned it a few weeks ago and talked about it 
you know, we've talked about it since 2014. This is the first time we've actually put it in black and white in a, in a way that you can see it visually and commit to it in, in a tool form. But there are two discipleship questions that go along with being a savvy follower. These you can ask each other, you can talk about them in your life group, you can use them for you know, your personal journal entries. I would encourage you to do all those things. But here are the two questions. What has God spoken to me through his word this week and what am I doing about it? And the second is what decision am I facing right now that requires God's unique perspective and how will I seek it? Savvy follower. Now the tool has to do with our slogan around here where we talk about finding your chair. If you're in person today, there's a host that's gonna come now and walk you through this tool. If you're watching online or on TV, you can download it over whoisgrace.com forward slash read. But finding your chair is just finding that place where you can meet with God and his word every day. Being a savvy follower means you intentionally listen to the Spirit's voice. And the best way to do that is through his word. And so we've designed this tool so that the feet of the chair are kind of the foundations. That's the when and the where and the what and the who. But then we've added these two questions that form the seat and the back of the chair. What is God saying to me and what am I gonna do about it? That's hearing and obeying. Remember, chair time isn't the final goal. The final goal is to live out your discipleship as a savvy follower of Jesus in your real life, to follow his lead at the right time in the right way. I love you guys.